Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. We're continuing our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus as we look at the rhythms and lifestyle of Jesus and begin to embrace them as our own. This week is part two of the practice of prayer as we look at the last half of the Lord's Prayer. Follow along as we answer the question, is it okay to ask God for things? We hope you enjoy this message. We have been over the past few weeks in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Uh, Based on this idea, this, this pretty radical claim that Jesus made in John chapter 10, that he offers the most abundant life you could ever possibly imagine. But the tension that comes with that claim is that for many of us in the room, we would say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we don't feel like we are experiencing this amazing best life imaginable. And so there's this tension. And one of the, one of the core ideas of this series that we've been navigating is in order for us to experience the best life possible through Jesus, we must also embrace the lifestyle that Jesus modeled. Like we believe that 2000 years ago, the God of the heavens put on skin and lived on this earth. He grew up and he became a man and he walked among us and he had friends and he ate and drank and slept and he was fully human here on this earth. And we believe that he modeled a way of living that would exemplify how people were always created to engage with God and with others. And we think his name is Jesus. And so we've been studying the life of Jesus and trying to unpack, well, what were his ways of living that we can then adopt to make our ways of living so that we can experience the best life possible through Jesus? And so we've been in this series for a little while. Last week, we introduced the practice of prayer. We are going to continue that thought tonight because prayer is just too dense. It's, it's too beautiful. It's too uh, complex to really do in one week, if I'm honest. It's really too complex to do in two weeks, but we're going to just do two weeks. We're going to have a part two tonight. Last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, what's uh, famously known as the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught. We're going to look at the back half of that tonight as well. So a little recap from last week, a couple of things we encountered and learned and walked away with from last week. We learned that Jesus invites us to think of God as a father, as a dad. Now, We talked about this last week. So if you missed it, go check out the podcast, go watch YouTube. I wanna be very sensitive here because I think there's a good chance that each and every single person in this room right now has some kind of father wound. I don't care if you have the most amazing dad in the world. There's probably some memory, some thing, some wound you have. When you think of God as dad, there's just this block there. It's like, I can't, I can't imagine him as dad. And so remember, we talked about this last week. The important thing to know that Jesus is inviting us to know is that we don't define God by our experience with earthly dads. We should define God by his reality as a heavenly dad. It's, it's incredibly different than our experience with earthly dads. And so Jesus invites us to begin to think about God as a father a very intimate relationship with our creator. The second thing we looked at last week is that God is as close to us as the air we breathe. That he's not some distant, abstract, uh, foreign concept sitting on some cloud somewhere, like shirtless with a toga robe, kind of half draped over one side of his chest and a bunch of naked babies flying around him. Like, it's just a weird and God is not that. He's, he's not what we see in Renaissance impressionistic paintings. God is as close as the air we breathe. Again, if you missed it last week, go and listen. 
This is the first half of the Lord's Prayer. This is just a recap. The third thing Jesus wants us to know is that our prayers to God literally have the, literally have the uh, ability and power to change, to bend reality. One of the things Jesus teaches is that there are certain things that will happen if you pray for them and other things that won't happen if you do not pray for them. Like we kind of live in this reality, this deterministic reality where we have all these cliches like, well, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen and everything happens for a reason and whatever, whatever. And so we get this terrible theology into our minds where no matter what we pray, no matter what we ask, what was meant to happen will happen. God had already decided and our prayers really don't make all that much of a difference. And that is just simply not true. Jesus teaches that our prayers to God have the ability to change things. It does not mean every single prayer of yours will be answered. Um, if you guys ever want me to do a sermon on why certain prayers go unanswered, I have like a 15-point sermon about that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this summer we can do it, but not tonight. 15 points is a little long. I think, uh, I don't know if you guys would want that. But some prayers don't go unanswered. But Jesus teaches our prayers have the power to change reality. And so we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer again tonight, the back half. So again, summary, quick recap. We defined prayer last week. Prayer is the way we experience and talk with God. Prayer is the way we experience his presence and talk with God. With implying there we are listening and talking. It's both and. We don't just talk to God, we talk with God. Prayer is the way that we experience the presence of God and talk with God. God, it's a very simple understanding, but I, I think it's sometimes simple is better, right? And so tonight we are going to look again at what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Now the context of this prayer is the, the disciples of Jesus, Jesus' best friends, come up to him and ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, which is this remarkable question to Jesus because what they're asking him, and just remember, I'm gonna throw this out as many times as I can to help you guys get this perspective. The disciples, the 12 of Jesus, were not middle-aged men who were like balding and overweight, okay? The disciples, the 12, were teenage boys, 14, 15, 16 years old. And they've been rolling with Jesus, they've been traveling with Jesus for a few years, and they have seen Jesus show authority over every corner of life. He has authority over the natural world and the supernatural world. They've seen him teach the scriptures with authority, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the corrupt religious system of the day, uh, stand up for the oppressed and the marginalized, speak about things like justice and like liberation uh, to those who are in captivity. They've seen Jesus heal the sick and the lame and the deaf and the blind. They've seen Jesus speak to the weather and the weather obeys. They have seen Jesus function in every way with authority over the natural world and the supernatural world. They have seen Jesus speak to demons and cast out demonic presences from people, multiple thousands of demons out of people at times. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen him do all of these things and there's only one time in the Gospels where the disciples of Jesus come to him and ask him explicitly, will you teach us how to do fill in the blank? And it's right here. They've seen Jesus do it all, 
But the one thing that seems to stand out in the mind of the disciples is Jesus's prayer life. Yeah, Jesus, we've seen you do all this other stuff and it's really, really amazing and, and if we're honest, we're confused and, and wowed by it and all that, but, but, but your prayer life, there's no category for the intimacy that you have with God. We, we can't even fathom that way of living. Would you teach us how to do that? And if you study the life of Jesus, you quickly realize that prayer was not just some peripheral practice, like, oh yeah, it's you know bedtime, we should probably pray, I don't know. Like, when Jesus believed in himself, he prayed for you know 10 seconds, the sinner's prayer, something like that. Like This was not a one-off practice that he knew he should have been doing but never really did except on New Year's. Like For Jesus, it was the core. Everything flowed out of his prayer life. Before he chose his 12 disciples, Jesus spent a sleepless night in prayer. When Jesus was betrayed and uh, was about to be arrested and murdered, he spent a sleepless night in prayer. He would often wake up early and disappear, and the disciples would be like, dude, whoa, we've been looking for you. Where are you? And Jesus would be praying somewhere. John 17 is this beautiful glimpse of Jesus praying for, amazing, you gotta go read it, for us, the people in this room. John 17 is a futuristic prayer. Jesus thinking about all the people who will ever come to believe in him, and he's praying for them. Jesus' whole ministry and life flowed out of his prayer life with God, his ability to experience and talk with his dad in heaven. And the disciples saw that, they noticed that, they saw everything else too, but they wanted to know how to do that. And so they come to Jesus and they say, would you teach us to pray? It's the only time the disciples have ever asked to learn something explicitly like this from Jesus. And he responds in what is now famously known as the Lord's Prayer. That's where we're gonna to read tonight. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse seven. Matthew six, starting in verse seven. Jesus says this, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It was common practice in that culture people who believed in all sorts of gods, they would just scream at God. They would have run-on sentences and fancy language and, and have all these phrases and sometimes like tear their clothes and dance around and, and grab swords and like slash themselves. Like anything they could do to grab the attention of the gods is how they viewed prayer. We have to grab their attention. Jesus puts it much more simply that our God is eagerly waiting to spend time with us. Don't worry about the fancy phrases. Don't worry about how loud you pray. Don't worry about the amount of words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you guys have probably heard that before. Some of you maybe even have it memorized. Some of you maybe even pray it every day, which is amazing. But Jesus here is offering us a template of how to begin to understand prayer. We looked at the first half last week. This week, we're gonna look at the back half. And so I wanna to start tonight off with this question. Is it okay to ask God for the things we 
want. Is it okay to ask God for the things we want? Has anyone ever asked themselves this question before? Show of hands. Yes, probably. Because you and me have all found ourselves in a moment of prayer and probably like just come to this reality check for just a moment and been like, wait, am, should, I, should I like be praying for this? Like, is this okay to pray for? Like, is this, like, is this appropriate? Like, I go to God with this? Let me give you some examples. I have um, some very dear friends. My, my sweet, sweet, sweet Southern Belle mom has a very good friend. She will go unnamed for the sake of, I don't want her to ever watch this and know I was talking about her, okay? <laughs> she is so sweet. And she participates in Black Friday, all right? Now, I don't know if this is your jam, but it's hers. So she will wake up super early on Black Friday because you know the deals are coming. Like <clears throat> the, the department stores open really, really early. Everything is marked down. It's like a great chance to score some deals, right? Anyone participate in Black Friday ever? Yeah, okay. So this woman loves Black Friday. Like it's, it's like a national holiday for her, like truly. And she will wake up early. She's got the whole thing planned out, like maps out the city. Gotta be here by this time. Gotta be here by this time. Gotta be here. Like it's all planned out. And she goes and she participates in Black Friday. And let's just imagine for a second that she whips into the parking lot at 6 a.m. She's gotten there early, but oh, wouldn't you know it, 2,037 other people have decided to go to this same store. And the parking lot is full and she whips in and now she and about 100 other cars are doing laps around the parking lot, going like a snake pattern back and forth. And I guarantee you she has prayed out loud with a little bit of a whisper, Jesus, would you please give me a parking spot? And it's like, I mean, if we really break that down, it's like, dude, is this, like, is this the kind of prayers that God answers? Is this the kind of prayer that God would even give his ear towards? Like, you are participating in arguably one of the most consumeristic holidays known to man, past, present, and probably future. Everyone is rushing to get the best deals for things they do not need, and you are going to bend the ear of the creator of the cosmos to give you a spot so that you can not walk an extra 100 yards just by parking kind of far away? Like, is that the kind of prayers that God hears? Is it okay to pray that way? Or maybe this one will hit a little bit closer to home. You guys have a, maybe a test coming up on a Friday. You, you've known it was coming up. You've known for a long time it was coming up. And wouldn't you know it, it's Thursday night. You just solved your wordle. You just sent some snaps and you realize I better study something. And you pull out some information and you know the grim reality. It doesn't matter how long you stare at this piece of paper. There's no way you're packing in the information to do well on this test. And so you immediately go to the Lord. <laughs> Lord's and you find yourself praying a prayer. It's really a miraculous prayer that God, without the absorption of this information, I pray that somehow I would be able to dispense the answers tomorrow, guide my pencil, fill in the bubbles correctly, oh, Father in heaven, right? You been there? Is it okay to pray that? Is it, is, is it okay to pray that way? 
Or maybe, maybe tonight this is gonna happen. Maybe you've been here. You and some friends decide to go out, maybe to cook out. You stand in the line, get a milkshake. You get the big tray, double bacon, quesadilla on the side, maybe some onion rings, fries with the Cajun seasoning, whatever you want. I know, I know. This is a holy place, we talk about holy things. And you have all this nice food and, and the grease is literally staining your styrofoam and, and you open it up and the smell is wafting and you gain three pounds just by the smell and you, you pray in that moment, a great Southern prayer, God, we pray you bless this food to nourish <laughs> our bodies. And you've been there? I, you've been there. I was told all things are possible through Jesus, and I'm praying it. And it's like what you're really asking, what you're really asking is a miracle. You are asking God to, on a molecular level, change the compounds of this food. May it behave like broccoli in my belly, Father. It's like, what kind of, like, really? You, you, that's the prayer? Okay, I mean, it's one thing to say thank you. It's another thing to ask him to nourish your body with that, okay? <laughs> lest, lest we forget, let me, include, let me include another category. You've had a crush on that girl. You knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You've had a crush on that girl for who knows how long. And you finally get the courage to ask her out, to tell her how you feel. Yo, girl, you my bae. I mean, I want you to be my bae. If you remember last week, if you remember last week, a great pickup line is to tell a girl that she's hallowed, okay? This is how Jesus begins the Lord, Lord's Prayer. Girl, you hallowed. Anyway, you decide to tell her how you finally feel, but before you do, you find yourself praying, God, I pray that she would say yes when I ask her out. And if you really break that down, what you're asking for is like, God, if she was going to say no, I pray you would override her defensive measures and say yes to a guy like me. Like, and somewhere in the back of your head, you know that the only reason she said yes is because divine intervention has miraculously swayed this girl. Like that's the prayer. And so the question is, is it okay to ask God for the things we want? Because let's be honest, most of us, if we have any prayer life whatsoever, most of us exist in this realm of praying where we come to God and we are asking for things. I remember being young and having just believed in Jesus as a 16 year old and not really knowing what prayer looked like or what it was. I didn't grow up in the church or a Christian home. And so I, I would come to God and sometimes I would find myself praying for some of my friends to come and believe in Jesus, right? Like that's, oh man, amen, that's a good prayer. And simultaneously in the same breath, I think I remember praying for like a really nice car because at that point in time, I was sharing my mom's Chevy Blazer and I just didn't feel super cool sharing my mom's car. We couldn't afford for me to get one, so we shared. And I think I remember praying, like, God, when I'm old, I, I pray just for a cool car, right? 
And I currently drive a 2004 Whoa. truck whose who's windshield seal is broken. And every time it rains, I drive around with a bowl to catch all the water that comes through the windshield. It's my reality. It's very wet in my truck when it rains. 200,000. Don't judge me. All right. It's a, it's a Toyota though. It's a Toyota. So it'll last. It'll last. All right. So the question is, <laughs> ashish. So, so the question is, is it okay? Because, I love you too, Hudson, because most of us, most of us live here. And there's something in the back of our minds where we really do wrestle. Like, God, is it okay to pray these things? Is this what I should be praying? How do I know? And Jesus teaches about this question. Jesus teaches about asking for things from God. The, the, what is known as the Lord's Prayer, our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an amazing prayer. Again, if you didn't hear it last week, please go listen to just that one line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's such a hinge point in the way Jesus viewed the world. And then in verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus switches in the Lord's Prayer, there's a distinct hinge where all of a sudden it switches to asking for things. Giving us our daily bread, forgiving us our debts, and leading us. Those are asks. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he's teaching us to ask for things. And so this question, is it okay to ask God for the things we want? It's kind of still up in the air because in some ways it's like, well, yeah, Jesus seems to be teaching, yes, ask for things. But you and I both know there's this haunting thought in the back of our mind that's like, but it's God. Like, are we supposed to ask for shallow things? Like, shouldn't we have like really godly things, holy things, the thy thou type of language that we should be asking God for? So let's see if we can't unpack some of this. Let's look at each one real quick. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Does this sound familiar? Can you think of anywhere else in scripture where God provided bread on a daily basis? Just shout it out. Yes, Exodus. When God graciously, miraculously led the Hebrew people out of slavery in the land of Egypt and to the promised land, led by Moses and his brother Aaron, they traveled through the wilderness for four decades and God made bread rain from heaven and they, they called it manna, literally like manna, exclamation point, question mark. Like, manna? Like it, it literally translates to, what is this? They were so confused by what this bread from heaven is. They called it, what is it? And God provided it every single day to sustain his people through their wandering in the harsh environment of the wilderness. Jesus is doing something he is such a master at where he's introducing a new thought by pairing it with a very familiar thought. He's teaching to Jewish people and they would have immediately gone back to that story. 
They would have known the roots of what Jesus was doing here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus is inviting us to posture ourselves towards is to ask God for what we need today. And this is in direct contrast to a lot of the ways that we have grown up and a lot of the values of our culture system, which teaches to make something of ourselves and save up enough and store up enough and, and build a big enough brand or name and have a big enough house or get a good enough career or go to a good enough college that you will be set for life. You don't even have to worry about tomorrow. Jesus seems to be doing something radically different where he's like, no, 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 no. Trust God for today. And tomorrow, pray for tomorrow. This requires us to admit that we are not actually entirely in control of our life. It requires vulnerability, it requires courage, it requires us coming to God and saying, look, I'm actually not the one in control of providing for myself. My dad in heaven is actually the one who gives me these things and I will depend on him each and every day. Jesus goes on to say, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And so Jesus switches from daily needs to a kind of emotional and moral needs. Forgive us our sins, scary word here, as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. I don't know if you guys have ever picked this up in the Lord's Prayer, but what you're inviting God to do is forgive me as I forgive others. So if you struggle with forgiving others, it's a really dangerous prayer. God, I want you to forgive me the same way that I forgive others. And so Jesus understands that in this life, you will have relational conflict. You will have beef with people. You will have problems in your friendships. You will be betrayed. You will be slandered. You will have close friends in this life and then for a reason that really doesn't make sense or a reason you don't know at all, all of a sudden that friend will want nothing to do with you and you will have to grieve that friendship. And there's this thing that can swell up in you pretty easily, it's called bitterness. And it comes to the surface and before you know it, you are wishing ill thoughts and ill realities for that person. You don't want good for them, you want bad for them because there's a sense of justice. Like they did me wrong. I want them to know how I feel. But Jesus has a radically different approach to life where he actually says in Matthew chapter five, verse 44, no, pray for your enemies. Yeah. It usually does make a room go silent when you throw that out. It's like, ooh. Jesus says, forgive us, Father, for our sins as we, as, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So quick thing, a couple years ago I preached a sermon on forgiveness, what it is and what it is not. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to restore that relationship, doesn't mean you have to be best friends again. Sometimes, depending on the scenario, it's actually much safer and better not to try to restore that relationship. There's some really, really toxic relationships out there that I think um, a lot of Christian language has invited a lot of harm by saying, no, you should forgive them, and that means restore the relationship. Well, not always. Forgiveness is not a two-sided event. It's a one-sided. It's, it's you decide if you're gonna forgive that person. 
Hopefully the relationship can be restored. Sometimes it can't, but that doesn't define if you're able to forgive them and want good for them. And then Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, what is that about? Like, does God make it a practice to deliver you into temptation? Like, why would, that's a weird prayer. You guys ever pause on that and be like, wait a minute, does God lead me into temptation regularly? I don't think so. Why would we pray this way? So think about the life of Jesus. There are two distinct times when Jesus was tempted where he went toe-to-toe with the evil one and he prevailed. Um, Matthew 4, Luke 4, and Jesus was led into those moments by the Spirit. This was like preparation for Jesus' public ministry. But Jesus partners that prayer with, but deliver us from evil. And so I think what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is, God, we pray that you would not allow us to go into the realities where we would have to endure unbelievable testing and temptation from the enemy. But if that becomes the reality for us, we pray you would deliver us from it. Like it's okay to admit, God, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want Satan to come at me in a one-on-one. I don't want that. Would you, would you lead me away from that? But if somehow I find myself there, would you deliver me out of it? I think that's the gist of what Jesus is getting at there. So look, look at these categories, daily bread, forgiveness of debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Look at the words, give us uh, this day our daily bread, forgive us and lead us. So many conversations that I have with students revolve around, revolve around, being content in life, being at peace in life, and understanding our purpose in life. Like those categories of conversation are all the time, right? How do I be content? How do I have peace? How do I know my purpose? Jesus is giving us these categories to think about because look, What is rampant in our culture? Consumerism runs rampant in our culture. You think that you need more to be happy. You don't. Satisfaction and contentment are found in a life of simplicity, depending on Jesus to provide for you what you need on a daily basis. That's the first line. Second thing that runs rampant in our culture is conflict. There's conflict everywhere. Conflict in relationships, conflict in marriages, conflict in friendships, conflict in ourselves, conflict in culture, conflict between countries. Conflict is everywhere. And Jesus leads us to a place where we are saying, forgive us for how we've sinned against you, God, and lead us, help us to forgive those that have sinned against us. And then think about what else? Confusion. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to live. I don't know what I'm supposed to study in school. I don't know who I'm supposed to date. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Jesus invites us to ask God to lead us in this life. These three lines are antithetical towards some of the major things in our culture, consumerism, conflict, and confusion. Jesus comes on the scene and says, give us, forgive us, and lead us. It's so simple and so subtle, but Jesus is inviting us to adopt a way of praying that teaches us dependency on God, dependency through a grateful relationship where we come to God and we ask him to provide our needs 
and we thank him for those needs. Not as some like routine prayer, like, oh, thank you for this food, bless it to my body, my body, the hands that prepared it, that's great. But like to genuinely come before your table and say, I know that I bought this meal, but the money came from God. He provided what we needed to have this. Thankful dependency through a relationship with our heavenly dad. The forgiveness of our sins, thankful dependency to be forgiven. Forgiving others, thankful dependency on God to help us do that. Clarity, purpose, not going down the path of evil. Thankful dependency on God to lead us. It requires vulnerability. It requires that we relinquish control. It requires that we admit that we need help from our dad in heaven. So look at the the flow of the entire Lord's Prayer. Like, let's zoom out and look at the entire thing. There are six kind of statements in the Lord's Prayer. Let's go ahead to the next slide real quick. The first three are like this. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then there's this hinge point where all of a sudden it turns to us, us, us. Give us, forgive us, and lead us. Jesus is teaching a template. It's a model of prayer. It's it's an approach to prayer where we first posture ourselves before God and enjoy and delight in his presence, align ourselves with his culture and his kingdom, and then invite his will and the ways of his kingdom onto this earth. The assumption would be that the ways of the kingdom have not fully invaded this earth yet. We don't see the full realities of the kingdom yet, and we want to pray those things here. And then we engage in the asking for things. Would you give us what we need, forgive us our sin, and lead us, not to evil, but deliver us from that. The challenge is, the challenge is that for most Americans who have been indoctrinated by our culture of consumerism, conflict, and confusion, most of our prayer lives are actually inverted And then not even gone all the way through. Most of us begin at the end here. So most of us approach God and we're like, God, I don't know what to do. Would you lead me? Would you give me answers? And, you know, on some level I realize that I've blown it. I've messed up. Would you, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And man, that, you know, (laughs) that girl's pretty cute. Would you give me that girlfriend? And then it's kind of just like ended. The prayer life's done after that. We seek the clarity on our purpose, lead us. We seek reconciliation with God because we know we've blown it and we seek the things that we want in this life. And then it's just kind of done. And if there's anything, it's always kind of an afterthought. Like, uh, and, and God, you know, uh, you, we pray that good things uh, would happen uh, on this world, earth, and you're good, God, amen. And it's like, like maybe those things get included. The typical American prays in reverse. God, would you lead me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me? And then it just kind of ends. Jesus actually teaches us a different way of praying where we first posture ourselves before God, delight in him as our dad, exalt him, praise him, delight in him, align ourselves with the culture of the kingdom, the realities of heaven, and invite those things to become a part of the realities here on earth, submitting ourselves to the will of God. And then we begin to pray, give us what we need, forgive us our sins and lead us. And those latter three 
through the filter of the first three actually become more and more and more in line with the heart of God. In other words, you begin to know what kind of things to ask for in the give us category when you've postured yourself before God, delighted in him, aligned yourself with the kingdom of God and invited his will on this earth. Then it becomes a little bit more clear what you're asking for. In your relationships that you desire to be restored and you desire forgiveness and you desire reconciliation, it's a little bit easier to approach those and own up to what you're responsible for in that relationship when you've first submitted yourself to God and who he is. And in this life, in the purpose of life leading us, it's a little bit easier to submit to where God might wanna lead you if you've already postured yourself in a way that would say your will, not my will, but your will be done on this earth. Where you lead, I will follow. It is in this template of praying. It is in this order of praying that first invites us into God's reality so that we can then invite God into our reality. Do you guys catch that? Do you see that? The model that Jesus gives us, this template of prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this template in this order that first invites us into God's reality so that we can then invite God to our reality. When the first half is aligned, it is much easier to align that second half. But when we pray in reverse, man, we are praying all over the place, driven by consumerism, conflict, and confusion, not driven by the things of the kingdom or who God is. We said this last week, I wanna repeat it this week. Who you imagine God to be will absolutely define your prayer life. If you imagine God to be some like decrepit old man, kind of like some wish master up there, then you will come to God with a bunch of wishes. If you imagine God to be some like weird Zeus looking dude with a long gray beard and holding a lightning bolt, just poised that, you know, who took my name in vain, right? Like you will come to God with reservation and fear, not feeling like a child, welcome in the presence of a heavenly dad. Your prayers would be controlled by your image of God. Jesus wants us to know who our God is. And he invites us to first position and posture ourselves before God to discover that, to delight in God as our dad, align ourselves with the realities of his kingdom and ask those realities to be a part of this earth so that we can participate in them as he provides what we need, as he forgives our sins and restores relationships and as he leads us in this life. So often we get this kind of like topsy-turvy, we get it off balance. So for some of us, we trust God to provide for us our daily need. Like we trust God with a loaf of bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust God with that. Like, yeah, I'll go to the store. I'll get a loaf of bread. But simultaneously, we don't trust God to actually restore and redeem and begin to heal this world, this planet. And so the back half of that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's easy for us. But to say something like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we, we don't actually believe that he could do that. Like you can fix this earth? Nah. You could provide a loaf of bread though. 
And so our prayer life is radically imbalanced. For others of us, it's the opposite. We actually believe in this cosmic power, this unbelievable God who desires to heal this broken world and invade this planet with the realities of his kingdom culture and restore people and places and things. And then we have this drastic sense of guilt to ask God for what we need in this life. So we trust him with the cosmos, but we don't trust him with the loaf of bread. I can't pray about that stuff. And Jesus invites us into a reality where both and are present. No, 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 no. God is your dad in heaven. He does have power over the cosmos and we should be praying that his realities in heaven would be realities on this earth and God wants to channel those things through you oftentimes. Oftentimes the best answer to prayer is what God wants you to do with your prayers. So he, God desires that and simultaneously God desires that you pray. He knows he's gotta eat. He knows you're hungry. He knows you've got conflict and relationships. He knows you want clarity on your purpose in life. Pray for those things too. It's both and. It's coming to God in relationship as a son or daughter. That's how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father in heaven. It's coming to God as a son or daughter and engaging in who he is and what we need. But often it's in that order to have the best alignment. So back to our original question. Is it okay to ask God for things? I think the answer is yes, but let me answer it with kind of an illustration. So I have, I, you guys know I have kids and I'm, I made it, <laughs> I, I made it a whole sermon. Did you notice I didn't, I, there's not one mention. I know you guys were like, there's a first sermon in 10 years, he's not gonna talk about his kids. I have some kids. And so let, let me illustrate it this way. There, there are some, does someone just fox whistle? It's a weird man. Oh, Matt's got kids. All right, I'm taken. You're not my type. All right. Some weeks in ministry, some weeks in ministry are much, much harder than others are much harder than others. Like there might be some weeks, there might be some weeks where I'll come in Monday through, or Sunday through Thursday is typically my, my work week. I'll come in and that week might be filled with like relational conflict. Like, like maybe there's some hard conversations that I need to have or maybe there's some counseling that I need to do with students or families or whatever. So that's, that's gonna be a part of it. And then maybe that same week, there might be some sin that got exposed in the lives of some of our students. And so I might get called into emergency meetings and I'll have to go and meet with families or go to their homes and sit down in the living room and, and have them explain to me what was discovered or what happened and, and they seek my advice. And, and no matter what, every single time that happens, what inevitably comes out is uh, the problems within the marriage itself. And so then... What originally turned into like help us with our child has now turned into my marriage has fallen apart. And so the counseling needs of any given week are immensely heavy as we grieve with people and try to meet people with where they're at and help people. And then simultaneously, you might have external factors like conflict around the globe, what's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine, 
or what was going on last summer during COVID. Like these external factors are going on and people are asking all sorts of questions and you're meeting with people left and right. Or you might just be having a tough week personally, like maybe uh, I'm just carrying some things of my own or, or whatever else. Or maybe a, a student might come to me and express they've been struggling with suicidal ideations and, and now we're getting involved with the family and we're, we're working towards healing and we're going down all the steps of that or whatever, 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 whatever. I mean, it could just be a heavy, heavy, heavy week on any given week. It's just the nature of ministry when, you're, when you step into people. My kids, all they really know is that I have students and I teach them about Jesus. Like that's what they think I do every day, which is really cute. So they don't grasp the gravity and, and the weight and the emotional uh, heaviness oftentimes that comes with my role. So let's just imagine I, I've had one of those weeks and I come home on a Thursday afternoon. It's been an incredibly difficult week, just day after day after day of walking with people in the midst of their brokenness, of carrying the weight of people's sins and, and families dividing and, and students seeking help. Let's say I walk through the door on a Thursday afternoon. I come home after a hard week like that. I open the door, my kids hear me come home, and as they always do, they run up to me and they hug me and they jump in my arms. And my little baby girl is screaming and my three and a half year old is <laughs> jumping down the stairs and my six year old is running to me to show me whatever craft or art project he just has been doing that afternoon. And let's just pretend that the first thing out of their mouth, because it would be around 5.45 or six, it would be around dinner time. Let's just pretend that the first thing out of their mouth is, Daddy, is it okay if we have ice cream after dinner tonight? Would I look at my kids, six, three and a half and 19 months old, would I look at them and say, you know what, guys, I can't believe you would ask me for that after the week I've had. I can't believe you guys would have the nerve to greet me at the door and ask me for ice cream instead of having compassion on my hard week, instead of being empathetic towards my hard week, instead of giving me a hug and telling me you understand the nerve of these kids. Would that be at all fair of me to hold them to that standard? Of course not. My kids are operating out of their worldview in regards to who they know that I am at their current age and maturity. They are asking for something that they are wildly excited about that is appropriate for their age and maturity. They have no idea everything else that's going on behind the scenes. They have no idea how much I'm carrying. They have no idea that a hug or, Dad, how's your week been? They're not thinking that way. They are operating out of their current worldview and maturity. They are asking for things that they know their dad loves to give them. Is it okay to ask God for things? I think absolutely yes. I think our heavenly father has compassion and patience on us and understands that we don't always see the bigger picture. We don't always get what's going on in the heavenly realms. We don't always understand the weight of everything. And we're just excited to be with God. And sometimes we come to him about a girl that we have a crush on. 
Can we have this? I think God delights in talking to us and spending time with us and hearing our prayer requests. Is it okay to ask God for things? Sure. Because I think God understands that your current maturity level and your current worldview will oftentimes define what you ask for. And I think that's appropriate. So I would say, come to God with everything. I think he delights to spend time with you. And I would also say that as you grow older and as you grow in your maturity in your relationship with Jesus, your worldview should be evolving as well. As you come to know the Father better, that would probably begin to determine what you're asking him for. For instance, if my kids grow up and they're like 20, 22 and 25 and I come home and they're like, Dad, can we have ice cream? When they see that my face is long and they see that I've been crying and they see that I'm so heavy, I would be a little sad because at that point they would know me better. At that point they have the maturity to see it. At that point they've got the perspective. I think God delights in you to come to him with anything based on where you're currently at. And I think Jesus would say, but as you grow, you're probably not gonna be praying for the same things in 10 years that you are now. Your prayer life will change. And bring those things to God. Now, don't hear me saying he's gonna answer every single one of them. Like, sorry, fam, you're gonna fail the test if you didn't study. But I think he delights in talking to you about it. I think Jesus invites us into a way of approaching God that first delights in him as dad, aligns herself with the heavenly culture, invites that reality of heaven on earth, and then begins to ask for things that we get excited about because we're also excited to spend time with dad. That we would be content in what he gives us, gratefully dependent upon him, that we would seek forgiveness and reconciliation in our conflicts, and that we would seek our purpose through his leading us. But it, it's all stage of life. It's all like, man, where are you at currently? Bring that to God. What is your current worldview? Bring that to God. Please do not fall into this trap of, man, I gotta just be super religious and grow up and have the right language and lengthy prayers. That's actually the opposite of what Jesus just taught. Come to God as a dad, excited about stuff, and talk to him about it. Prayer is experiencing the presence of God and talking with him. I think that's what Jesus invites us into. So let's finish tonight by doing just that and praying together right now. Father, our Father, we do thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us. And we see this beautiful invitation to come into your presence and delight in who you are and begin to understand the ways of the kingdom and what you desire for this earth and then begin to ask for those things and become a channel for those things and depend on you for our daily needs and depend on you for our forgiveness and the ways we forgive others and depend on you for leading us in this life. And so Father, we echo the final part of the Lord's Prayer. We pray you would forgive us, that you would give us and that you would lead us. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name, through the power of your spirit, amen.